0: Okay, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning, and we'll be picking up again in verse 5 when we get started. So let's open with prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it and and to learn from it and to um, learn the things that you want us to know. And uh, as we go through Corinthians and we learn about things that involve our relationship with each other and with the church, we pray that you'll... um, Help us to understand that and to practice those things in a way that pleases you. We just pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so first to get our bearings, let's uh, read uh, in chapter 4. Start at verse 1 and we'll read through verse 13. 1 through 13.
1: This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God.
2: Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful.
3: But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. Or I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me.
4: Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God.
5: Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied unto mine own self and Apollos, for your sakes, that ye might learn by us that no man presume above that which is written, that one swell not against another for any man's cause. Verse 7.
3: For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not?
2: Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and with that you did reign so that we might share the rule with
0: you. Okay. For I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men.
1: We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute.
2: To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless.
3: And we toil, working with our own hands when we are reviled. We bless when we are pre- persecuted. We endure.
0: 13. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Okay. Good. That's last time we. Uh, started uh, this chapter and in this these first four verses uh, Paul identifies himself as a servant or officer of Christ this is not our normal word for servant it refers to a uh, remember of the, the Pharisees sent their officers to arrest the apostles when they, when they were preaching or to arrest Jesus so it says A subservient officer who who serves their master, but they also have authority of their master. So it's a little different word than just a household servant. Um, He also calls himself a steward. And we saw that stewards in a household, the chief steward ran the household. So he also has authority of the master over the other uh, servants. And so both of these words include not just service, but also authority. And that and that describes an apostle. Apostles represent someone; they have the authority of the one they represent. Um, his stewardship specifically dealt with the mysteries of God, and we spent some time looking at the mysteries of God. And as you as you go through the scriptures, you go through different time periods uh, in which God has, in a way, different rules for people. Um, you know, we think especially the Jews, Moses was given the law. And so, from, and so they were under the law from that time on, from Sinai on. You have, and, and we call those dispensations. That's another term for these time periods. Well, with the beginning of the church and the day of Pentecost, God, again, changed kind of the relationship he has with people. He gives us different um, uh, resources, different rules. We don't live under the law, we live under grace. And I, I always remember one time, I mean this was years ago, and Pastor Everett said in in the Old Testament, there's no indication that they were born again. They were not regenerated. Mm -hmm. He says, every time you read the terms like, you know, circumcised of heart or given a new heart, he says, all prophetic. Mm -hmm. And and I thought, you gotta be kidding. (laughs) That never occurred to me before. And so ever since, and whenever I read through the scriptures, I'm looking for something different. And everything I read uh, fits with that. So uh, we know they did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit would come on and leave. And I I think, wow, they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. They're not born again. How on earth can they follow any of God's laws? To me, it's amazing they did as well as they did. Um, you know, we, we have one of the Psalms where David writes, created me a clean heart. You know, it's like, he, he wants to go to God. And, I need a new heart. I need a better heart. You know, and take not your spirit from me. That's, we don't have to, I mean, we sing it, but that doesn't apply to us. So this, these mysteries, these things that are different about the church age were given to Paul and to the other apostles. But Paul was given probably the primary stewardship to present that to the church so in a sense he was a little bit like Moses you know God gave Moses the law to take and give to the Jews and a lot of the mysteries God gave to Paul to teach to the church and so you know this is a very important ministry that he had um so he's saying you know you have to consider me that way um But then he goes on and he, he says, um, you know, again, stewards have to be uh, found trustworthy. And he, he says, as far as I know, I am trustworthy. You know, I've examined myself. I'm not, as far as I know, I, I can't see anything against me. But he says, you know, for you to examine me uh, doesn't mean that much. And he says, I, I really, he says, I, I, I'm not to be examined by a human court. I, I don't even examine myself. And we talked about how we, we tend to deceive ourselves, we rationalize our, our faults and things. Um, but primarily, he says, Yet I am not by this acquitted. And this is the legal term that says, You know, I cannot declare myself innocent. It's the judge who does that. And God is the judge, the one who examines me, the one who is the Lord. It's like if we go into a courtroom, you know, the bailiff may think I'm innocent, but that doesn't matter. It's the judge. The judge is the one who has the authority to acquit or find me guilty. And that's what Paul is saying here. Um, he says, well, you, you know, you can think of me whatever you want, but that doesn't matter because God is the one who examines and renders final judgment. And so that's where we had ended up last time in verse 4. So verse 5, he kind of continues to talk about judgment, but he expands it to include other believers. So looking at verse 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. So his conclusion, do not pass judgment on other believers. Um, We do not evaluate them. We do not rate them. We do not grade other believers. If we do that, we're usurping God. That's his prerogative to evaluate other believers. Um, We basically, ultimately, are accountable to God, not to anyone else. Let's look at Matthew chapter seven. Someone would like to read verses one and two for us there. Matthew chapter seven, verses one and two. Okay. And then he goes on to talk about the speck and your brother's eye and the log in yours. Um, so, this, this is a warning against judging others from, from Christ. Uh, Paul hits this principle pretty hard in the book of Romans. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. And someone like to read verse 1 and also verse 16. Verse 1 and verse 16.
3: Therefore, you have no excuse every one of you who passes judgment for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things on the day when according to my gospel god will judge the secrets of men through christ jesus
0: okay so chapter one he condemns human human beings seriously i mean there's a lot of condemnation there but then he says okay but don't go judge you can't judge others because you're really doing the same thing if you really look deep down you're doing the same thing and then in verse 16 he says you know God judged the secrets of men God knows what's going on way down deep inside us Um, and so that's why he has the ability to judge correctly and justly he has the omniscience to do that Let's also turn to chapter 14. Uh, Romans, Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 14. Someone would like to read verse 4 for us.
1: Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand.
0: Okay, who do you think you are? <laughs> to judge another believer. They stand before God. Uh, they are servants of the Lord. He is the one who evaluates other believers. Also, in that same chapter, um, someone would like to read verses 10 through 13.
5: But why dost thou condemn thy brother? Or why dost thou despise thy brother? For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, I live, saith the Lord, and every knee shall bow to me, and all tongues shall confess unto God, so that every one of us shall give accounts of himself to God. Fourteen. Thirteen also. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but use your judgment, rather in this, that no man put an occasion to fall or a stumbling block before his brother.
0: Okay, we don't judge each other, but we have to judge our actions so that we don't cause problems for others. Um, so Paul hits this, though so Jesus has said not to judge. We see Paul... Let's look at James. James chapter 4. So this is a consistent... Admonition throughout scriptures. James chapter 4, with someone likely verses 11 and 12 for us. Do not speak evil against one
5: another, brothers. The one who speaks against
2: a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save
0: and to destroy. Him. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay. So, you know, I hear James is saying when, when, when you judge your brother, you are making yourself a judge in the eyes of the law. But he says there's really only one judge, and it's is Christ. He says, who are you to try to usurp? Christ and take his place to judge other believers and we see that same thing uh, over and over again who do you think you are to put yourself in the position of God and to judge God's other servants Um, what do we call it when we put ourselves in God's position What sin Thin, yeah. we make ourselves to be like God it's, blas- it's blasphemy this, yes, this is this is really a form of blasphemy when we judge other believers we're putting ourselves in the place of God that's why they would try to stone Jesus you're making yourself out to be God you're committing blasphemy you deserve to die so this is a very strong warning here about judging others. Um, but it's also a natural human tendency. So we have to watch out for that uh, very, very much. <laughs> okay, back to our verse uh, 5 in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. He goes on to talk about before the time and when the Lord comes so he's talking about Christ coming um, and that he will judge this is the judgment seat of Christ this is what we had back in chapter 3 when we're all stand before Christ um, our deeds, our works we have gold, silver, precious stones wood, hay, and straw yes, that is what he's talking about here We will stand before Christ. He will judge our works. Um, He knows our motives, and he can make a true judgment on this. So he's saying, don't go before that time and start judging other believers. Jesus has a a time set up where he will take us all, he will evaluate all of us, and we will be rewarded for our good deeds. He says at the end of this, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. God will Mm -hmm. praise us for the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. Does this verse say anything about penalty or condemnation? No, it doesn't. Do you remember at the judgment seat of Christ in chapter three? Wood, hay, and stubble. Were they penalized for that? Were we is there a penalty for that? No, it's just burned up.
5: Yeah.
0: It's just taken away and discarded. So there's, there's not, as, as believers, we don't have to look forward to a judgment that penalizes us. Christ has died for all our sins. You know, the, the wood, hay, and stubble comes usually from um, pride or disobedience or something like that. Uh, Christ has died for that. But we will be rewarded for those things that we do with the proper motives and following uh, God's leading. So, uh, Paul's telling us, don't judge or examine each other. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin. Does that mean that we just turn a blind eye to other believers? Dep- you know, What about their words and their deeds, uh, their thinking? Do we just ignore what other believers are doing? No, we don't. We're told in Scripture, we are to instruct, to exhort, to encourage, to correct each other. So this requires some sort of evaluation. I mean, we can look at someone's actions, someone's deeds, and say, okay, that does not conform to God's holiness, to, God's, to Christ's um, instructions to us, and we are told to, to do something about it. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. This will give us an example. Galatians chapter 6. Someone like to read verses 1 and 2 for us.
1: Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted one another's burdens, and so fulfill
0: the law of Christ. Verse three, um, or just two.
1: You can read three. For if okay. anyone thinks he is something, but he is nothing, he deceives himself.
0: Okay, that kind of fits into those who are proud and think they can order other people around. <laughs> um, yeah. But here, here we're told. You know, you, you look at someone. He says, you, "You see, they're 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 trespassing God's law." Do we judge them quit, you know, in a legal sense? It doesn't tell us to do that. It says to restore them, correct them. Um, he tells them, you, know, you who are spiritual, so there's, you have to have some level of maturity to do this. Make sure you're, um, you're, your evaluation is uh, complying with scripture. You do it gently. Spirit of gentleness. You also watch out for yourself, because you can fall into that same trap. That's what we saw in Romans, um, chapter two, verse one, or the last. Yeah, two one. You know, you who judge and others, you know, you're doing the same thing. So we have to watch out for that. Um, I kind of was uh, looking at an analogy. Uh, this is kind of like a family situation. I have I have a twin brother, so we grew up on a farm, and you know, dad would send us out to do chores. Well, who was boss? We're twins. <laughs> you know that, that was great for learning to cooperate with each other. You know, my my brother's a smart guy. I mean, we we talk about things, and sometimes we do it his way, sometimes we do it my way. We you know, that um, you know. I could say, you know, Dale, Dad told us to do this today, so let's go do it. He wasn't obeying me, but I was telling him what Dad had said so he could obey Dad. Or we could say, uh, you know, you really shouldn't do that because you're going to get saswat swat when you get home. <laughs> you know, we could warn each other. But again, you know, we were not accountable to each other. We were accountable to God, but we were kind of watching out, instructing, warning each other. And so that's kind of, to me, that's the same kind of analogy we would get uh, within the church. We're all the children of God. We're saying, this is what our Father wants us to do. You know, you ought to do this, you should not do that. And we can warn, we can exhort and correct each other. Um, So just within the general body, there's that sort of correction. Um... The other thing we have is delegated authority. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Should know what this is. <laughs> I think Russ knows this one. Yeah. <laughs> Romans 13, someone like to read verses one through four.
4: Since you brought my name up, I'll read it. Okay. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong.
0: So if you're driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour and you see the red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror, that's what's happening here. Um, so God's delegated this authority to judge and to find guilty or acquit. We have an entire legal system you know, in our government. They make laws, and, and, and this is all delegated authority. You know, We can't just say, well, these are all human laws, and, and you know, I'm a Christian, and so I don't have to submit to them. No, we're not allowed to do that. This is delegated authority from God. You know, and that's what, and that brings up some issues because they're not Christians; they don't know God's word, and we've got some really crummy laws. Some of them are total nuisance. Some of them are just as stupid as can be. But as long as they don't force us to violate God's laws, we have to comply because it's God's delegated authority. We had to get a shorelines permit for our elevator. And we did it. <laughs> you know, it still makes me sick thinking about that.
2: The new one that's coming from New now is they go around looking at potential to pollute and write tickets for that. Oh. And I don't think that's right. No. Yeah. That's like if you have a car that drives 100 miles an hour and you write a ticket for potential to speed. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah,
0: my car can go that fast. Therefore, I deserve a ticket. Is that the point? <laughs> <laughs> you would
2: love that one, right? right. Yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially back during the coronavirus stuff. You know, there was a lot of. We have to be. We have to be really careful when we make the choices to not comply with government regulations. We have to make sure that we're we have divine excuse for not doing that. We're
5: not going there, Joe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and so people have gone a lot of different ways on that one. But I, I'm just saying you have to use a lot of caution because God has delegated that authority to them.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, uh,
0: yeah. And
3: there's a lot of frustration on the part of this. <laughs> But the administrators are like,
0: oh, look <laughs> at the law That's the what time. the law says. Yeah, we have to. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could. Yeah. That's just another.
5: Like, just like when I was teaching, um, we weren't allowed to read Christian literature, uh-huh. but we could read any book that a child brought. And if they brought in, you know, during okay. Christmas, the story of Jesus uh-huh. or something, I could read you that. You could read that if
0: they brought it in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to stuff all the snakes back in Pandora's box and go on to the next point. Um, Paul delegated authority to Timothy and Titus. Let's look at Second Timothy, chapter 4. Chapter
1: what?
0: Chapter 4. So this is authority within the church. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Someone like to read verses 1 and 2.
5: I charge thee therefore before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall judge the quick and dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Improve, rebu- uh, improve rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and doctrine.
0: Okay. So here, you know, Paul is telling Timothy, you know, use the, use the scriptures, use it to, you know, reprove, to exhort, rebuke people. Um, but he also prefaces it by saying, God will come and judge. You know, so he knows God is the ultimate judge, but, but you are to, you've got authority to correct people. And you do it with great patience. Great patience because we are slow to learn we are slow to change also in 2nd Timothy let's go back to chapter 2 would someone like to read verses 24 through 26
2: to their senses and
0: escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Okay, so here we go. have a, uh, instructions <laughs> to correct those who are in opposition. And again, you, you can see that um, there's limitations on what Timothy is being told to do. He's not told to evaluate, to judge. He's told to correct. He's, you know, with meekness. With meekness, mm-hmm. with gentleness, yes. Yes. Um,
3: situations where people were doing things that shouldn't have been done and loved ones went to them tried tried to gently correct them Mm -hmm. person didn't seem very willing to listen but over time they have come back and said you know what I heard I heard that you cared enough about me that you would come and talk to me about these things and that God worked in their life Right. And there was a change in the
0: repentance. Yeah. And I think this works similar to a verse we've already covered in 1 Corinthians. You know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. So sometimes, even repentance, we plant the seeds. And it takes a while for... God is so slow in what he does sometimes. <laughs> it drives me nuts. <laughs> even in my own life.
3: Right, right, but you know how much do you, co- you know how much do you cut
5: off relationship? You you've got to still let
0: them you gotta, know mm-hmm. you care about them. Right, right. And so this this whole idea of um, correcting others in the church is a, is done in love. It's a demonstration of our love and our concern for them. We're patient with them. We tell them the truth. We try to encourage them to come back to the truth. It's not like um, um, when Jesus said, you know, do not lord it over them like the Gentiles do. You know, the Romans were tough. They didn't care whether you came back. You did something wrong and your head was cut off. Period. You know, um, they did not try to reform you. The church is all about let's see if we can get people back on the track. So that's kind of in the context of, uh, you know, Paul is saying, you know, we don't judge others. That's not our job is to evaluate, you know, place, oh, he's, uh, he gets a 10 on his spirituality. He's a four and a half and he's a three and you don't, no, everyone needs to be fed. Everyone needs to keep growing and being encouraged. Um, and again, let's not put ourselves in God's place as far as judgment and con- condemning those who are doing wrong. Okay, well we can we can look we can start verse six. <laughs> um, verse six is a little bit like a movie that has an unexpected plot change in it. That makes a major change in emphasis here. So, verse 6, he says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that in us you might learn not to exceed what is written, in order that no one of you might become arrogant on behalf of one against another. So, Paul is saying he's been using himself and Apollos as examples of being the servants of God. Um, having gifts and being gifts to the church for the church's, you know, uh, advantage uh, and and growth. And as such, they should not have any special recognition. There should be no, you know, they're not special. They should not have, you know, uh, um, any adulation or, because that all belongs to God. God's the one who gives us the gifts. and what, what Paul's now saying is, he wasn't really talking about himself and Apollos. We were just being used as examples. Um, because now he's going to turn and address the true culprits, the true problem people. And that's what he means by being figuratively applied. Um, this word is used much differently, or seems to be differently in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at this word that's translated applied or figuratively applied. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. and I was rather surprised to find this. Someone like to read verses 13 through 15.
3: For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Keep going. Through 15. Okay. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Okay, can you guess where our word is here?
0: It's three times. It's one of the main points he's making here.
3: Disguising.
0: Disguises himself. Satan disguises himself. Satan is taking himself and putting him in the place of of a, of a righteous person, as an angel of light. Um, so what Paul is saying is that he has taken himself and Apollos and, and basically put them... Uh, you know, masqueraded as the problem people in this example so that he could get them, get the Corinthians to listen. Because um, this, he's, he's going to criticize them quite heavily here. And What, what happens when we get direct criticism? Yes. Boom! Our shields go up, right? We start, we, we figure out how do I defend myself from this? I'm not going to listen, I'm just going to think about how to retort. You know what are my excuses? Shields up. As soon as you know, and so Paul's sneaking around that. He says, "I'm going to get. I'm going to use me as the example of the bad guy, and Apollos in a way. And we'll get you to see the principle first, and understand the principle. And now we're going to say, okay, that's what's happening in your church with these other people. Do you see the principle? Okay, now you apply it to them. So um, is it kind of like? went to David. This, yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs>
0: Second Samuel 11. We're going to read that. This is, this I love this passage. Because this is how you... This is the plot twist. <laughs> this is, yes. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to have to read around because this is a long story. Okay, so David has uh, gone into Bathsheba and had... Um, I've just read this. Uriah the Hittite put to death. So we're going to read 2 Samuel 11, starting at verse 26. And read through chapter 12, verse 7. So eleven twenty-six through twelve seven.
1: When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband.
2: After the time of mourning was over... David and her brought up his house. David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord.
3: Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said, "There were two men in one city; the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds,
4: but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe, ewe lamb." He had bought, he raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It, it shared his food, drank it from the, his cup, even slept in his arms, it was like a daughter to him.
5: Now there came a stranger unto the rich man, who refused to take of his own sheep and of his own oxen to dress for the stranger that was coming to him but took the poor man's sheep and dressed it for the man that was come to him.
3: Then David was exceedingly wroth with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall
2: surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity.
0: Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. And he goes on to tell how he blessed David. Why did you do this? So this is, but you, you see, Nathan told him this story. And David understood the principle. He had no, you know, no shields up, because Nathan wasn't talking about him, was he? He was talking about somebody else. He was talking about this rich man, um, and David was furious. He deserved to die, mm-hmm. and, and Nathan's dropped the dropped the bomb on him. He said, "It's you. <laughs> this is what you did, and now I'll now I'll show you, you know, in the following verses, how it applies to you." And and, and David had to agree with that. And so, um, so that's kind of what's been going on here back in in. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, actually the whole chapter 3 and 4, 2, 3, and 4, something like that. Um, he's saying, You know, I've been using myself and Apollos to teach you this principle without being threatening, but now I'm going to let you know what the real problem is. You have people in your church who are doing exactly this. Um, so, uh, He's teaching them the principle first, and now he's going to apply it specifically after they've already learned the principle and they've agreed with it. So that's uh, we're going to have to stop right there for time, but uh, we'll, we'll work on the application again when we pick up next week. So, Joe, would you like to?
2: Sure. Lord, we do thank you for your word for the stories that speak truth for the fact that you are speaking truth the whole time you are talking to us through the word it is the living word that is directed to us we thank you for it we thank you for the study of it for the way we can glean things from it and Lord, we just want to thank you that it is something that we can still in this country do of, of meet publicly in, in this type of a setting and we know many parts of the world our brothers and sisters in many parts of the world can't do that we thank you for the fact we still can't hear I we'll just pray that you'll be with um, our leadership, our country's leadership, that they'll be drawn back to your, your ways of life instead of their seeking things after their own. So we do pray for our government. We pray for those in power above us that as we can um, live our lives for you here, that it'll be an example for others. I we'll just pray for it all time, that your word will be go forward, that your word will be passed down, and that people will receive it for what it is. And we just pray for this next hour to come with Robert teaching us. We just pray, Lord, that we'll be here ready to listen and worship so our hearts in your prayer. Amen. Amen. <laughs>